Welcome to the Next Chapter Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Moss, and today we're joined by Laura Hernandez. Laura is a mom of 10, and she's here to talk to us about her motherhood journey of fostering, adopting, and parenting special needs children and the systems that she created to help her manage. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Veronica. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to talk about your topic as well. So tell me, Laura, about your motherhood journey. It's been quite the journey. So we had our first kiddo about 16 years ago and subsequently had a, a couple more. And then after our third, my husband said, you know what, if we're going to adopt, because this has been something that we've talked about all along that we wanted to adopt. And so he said, if we want to adopt, we need to go ahead and do so now because I don't, if we have another one, I don't know if we're going to be able to adopt. Like I might be at my max of four, just mm-hmm. humorous at this moment because we now have 10. So we went to a foster care class at our church and, or an adoption class. And we learned all about the different types of adoption and how to make those things happen. And when the foster care people got up, we both looked at each other and said, oh crap, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And it was just very clear to both of us that that was the road we're supposed to take, even though it seemed like the harder one, the hardest one, I don't know. And so we signed up for foster care classes and. We got Andrew placed in our home three days old and he came straight from the hospital to our home. And so of course we loved him like our own and that was our baby. And he went back to his biological mom at eight months old. And that was just so hard. It was Mm -hmm. so hard to try to separate ourselves from him. And we wanted to maintain a relationship with bio mom just in case she needed anything or needed help with anything, but that just made it even harder to continue that relationship, but try to detach from him. And so we subsequently had another kiddo in Dallas. We live in the Dallas area. We had another kiddo in Dallas, and then we moved up to Seattle and had our fifth biological. And meanwhile, she had two more kiddos and she moved to Louisiana and then moved back to Texas. And all this to say, they were taken away again and put up for adoption. Rights were terminated. And we said, oh my goodness, we'll, we'll take them. It was, uh, you have to adopt all three or none at all. And so um, we'll take all of them. We love them. And so we had to move back to Texas to do. Okay. And that brought us from, we had four. And then in April, we had our fifth. And then in August-ish, the three came. So within a six month period, we went from four kids to eight kids. Wow. And it was a lot. We had... We had five little people, four and under, all in diapers, and we very much work in survival mode. And so that's how we, and then we, if we were doing the math, we then had two more kiddos. Right. For that. Oh, wow. So then you have seven biological and three adopted. And then, so the three that are adopted are all siblings from the same biological mother. They are. Yes. Okay. What a blessing. What a blessing that must be for them, for yourselves, for the whole family, because everybody is related. That's great. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So you had, did I hear you right? You had five kids all under the age of four, all in diapers. Yes. Oh my gosh. So how did you manage that? Yes. So this is (laughs) kind of where I got into the, oh my goodness, we're in survival mode and just trying to get by, right? Mm -hmm. So I would tell myself, like, if I could just make it to bedtime, we'll be golden because then they'll be in their beds. Everybody was all in cribs then. 
not everybody, but the little people were all in cribs. And so it's like, they'll be safe in there. And, you know, that was the, that was what I was striving for every day is bedtime to get there. Mm-hmm. And I finally was like, can't, we, can't, we can't live this way. Who can live that way? And so we had to figure out what we were going to do with our, with our life and how we were going to have our days run. You know, we had it pretty down with our four, but then this was just like an upheaval of all the things. And so I read books and listened to podcasts and read blogs and all these things. And nobody had systems for a family that homeschool, also public school, also therapist in and out of the home all day and caseworkers and adoption and like all the things. Nobody had that. And so I was like, well, we've got to figure out something. And so I just had to sit down with myself and really plow through our life and figure out what was important to us and what we wanted to prioritize and be intentional with. And then what things we could just let go of along the way. And so that whole process that I walked through is now my whole business. That's what I do with mamas. I help them do the same thing with their life because what I've discovered I know this is shocking, but everyone has different lives. Yes. <laughs> no one is a cookie cutter and one system doesn't fit all. And yeah, so that's what I get to do now when I absolutely love it. Okay. So tell me about special needs. So you have a, a very special niche in that is that you're helping special needs moms, right? And adoptive and, and foster. So if I came to you and First, let, let me tackle the, the fostering and adoption. So if I came to you and I said, hey, Laura, can you give me some advice? I've always wanted to foster children, but here is my fear. My fear is that I'll get too attached. Bio parents may actually be able to regain their custody of the children. And how do I deal with, you know, feeling too attached to a child that I just have to give back? Yeah, that's really a tricky question. I think my number one encouragement to you would be that you're not doing this for yourself. If you're doing it for yourself, you're in it for all the wrong reasons and you need to back away immediately because I feel like fostering and adoption is just hard. It's really hard. The whole time it's hard. So going back to mom or being taken away or whatever, despite all of that, it's just hard. And so if you're trying to fill something in you, it's probably not the way to be going. Okay. The whole idea of foster care is that you want them to be reunited with their family. That's the idea is reunification with the family. And at the same time, those kids need support. They need that attachment because that is so important and vital to their whole beings for the rest of their life. Whenever they're with you for that, that time, that trauma that happens of them being taken away from their family, and then they come to you and when they can find attachment and healing with you. And then be able to go back like that's that's a beautiful gift and it's not it's not always rewarding for the foster families involved okay no so it's yes not a very I, present answer yeah i totally get it i get what you're saying so i'm seeing it more like personally i'm seeing it more like, oh what is it going to do to me instead of you have this opportunity to improve a child's life and help the family reunify okay that's a better way of thinking of it. I'm guilty. I'll take that because that, that was my thought. So then how do you get to a point where you just decide it would have to be a mi- mutual decision for the bio parents and for the foster parents to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you adopt the children or the child. Yeah. So that's, that's a loaded 
like we can talk about the whole foster care system here. <laughs> That's so much pushing. Yeah, typically what happens is after a child is removed from the home, the parents have, they basically have to come up with a game plan with the judge and all the powers that be. And that game plan, depending on the parents, looks like drug testing, looks like you have to have a job, you have to have a place to live, you have to be stable for this long. So all of those things, they have to do X, Y, and Z before they can get their children back. If they don't do that, then their rights are terminated. So if the court says you have to have a job for six months to be able to provide food for your family and they don't do that, they never go get a job and they never go find a place to live and they don't have a place that's safe for their child to come home to, then the rights would be terminated. And then from there, if the child is in your home, then you have, depending on if there's family and depending on if there's other people involved in this as well. But let's, for the sake of this conversation, say that there's not. Then they will say, okay, Veronica, we're terminating parents' rights. There's no one else. There's no uncles or aunts or mystery people in the closet. Would you like to adopt this child? And then you can decide from there. After the child has been in your home for one year, you can decide from there if you want to move forward with adoption. Okay. All right. Now, I can only imagine what that, based on your personal experience, you had, his name was Andrew? Okay, so you had Andrew first after only being three days old, and then you had to give him back, and you wanted to stay in his life, and she, meanwhile, had two more children. So I can only imagine, what does that do to your family unit, to your marriage, to your faith? Yeah, it was very humbling, and it had me flat on my face. I'm, we're Jesus followers in our house, and I just reading over my journal entries were just very much, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't get it because from our perspective, bio mom didn't really have a safe place for him to go. And it didn't seem like he was going back to a good situation. And so it tore us up. It was difficult in just the fact that we were grieving a loss of a child, you know, <laughs> it was difficult on us in that way. But at the same time, we had this common grief, my husband and I, that we share, you know, and so that brought us closer together for sure. But this whole, our whole journey was figuring out how to foster or figuring out that we were going to foster and then losing Andrew and then him and his siblings coming back to us. And like the whole, the whole way there had been so many things. I'm like, I could not have orchestrated that better. There's no way I could have even thought of that happening. And it has been such a stretching and such a faith growing experience from the very beginning of just not understanding things to seeing things come together. I just could not plan them. And an example of that would be where mom moved back is where I was born and raised. We were both in Dallas. We moved to Seattle. She moved down to Southeast Texas. It's a random town where I was born and raised. And the people that she was around and the attorneys that she had, I had connections to all these little pieces that like, we couldn't have planned that out of all the places in the world she could have lived. She lived there. So it just seemed like God really placed the right people, the right circumstances, the right situations for you in order to make this come through the way that it should have God's plan, right? Yeah. Just from people sitting around us at restaurants and overhearing our conversations and coming up and encouraging us and random things like that. I, again, I couldn't, could not have orchestrated it. 
And so just seeing all those pieces come together was just so beautiful and just has really allowed our faith to to grow a lot. Okay. And for special needs moms, I don't see a lot of support out there for these moms. And I have my niece who's special needs and it takes the whole tribe. It takes all of us to help out with her, but mostly the responsibility my brother is shouldering and then his ex-wife as well, but it's mostly on my brother. So how can we help out not just moms, but parents across the board? Because a lot of the times for whatever reason or whatever situation, it may just fall on other people like grandparents or dad or mom or, or separate, right? How can we help the special need parents? And that's what you're describing is so common because divorce is 80% more likely in a special needs home. Not 80% more likely. It's 80% likely in a special needs home, whereas the average is 50%. And I know it's shocking, but the reason is because it's so stinking hard. It's so hard and it's so tiring and so constant and parents are burned out and they have no capacity to be able to communicate well or to work things out or anything. And I totally get it. Like I get it. I've been there so many times. And so I think the really important piece is that parents are putting things in place that are taking care of themselves, which a big piece of that is asking for help. And I know that that's a huge struggle for so many people, but I think that is like really activating the village around you and being okay with the fact that you can't do it all. That's a big thing and a hard thing because I think so many of us want to, I know my kid, I know what they need. And so it's hard to get to a place where you're like, no, other people can help even if they do it imperfectly, you know? So as friends, two special needs parents, I think continually showing up and never forgetting that they're there. I feel like it's the same with grief, right? After someone dies, it's really easy like at the beginning to show up and bring meals and whatever, but that really what helps them feel not alone is the constant checking in and making sure they're okay. And so I would suggest even like putting a reminder on your calendar, hey, bring them a meal this month or sign up to take their kids somewhere or go pick up the kid for a day. And I think that reminder that someone else is there carrying the burden with you is huge mm -hmm. because it is so lonely and it's so tiring. And so knowing that people are in it with you is huge. Yes, that's great advice. So what is it that happened in your personal family in your life? Like with trying to manage the 10 children, like how did you come up with systems in order to help yourself? I think a big part of that is just evaluating what is important to us and what's not important to us. And the things that aren't important to us, having to let them go, which often is not the way that the world would tell us to be living, you know? And so really shedding some of that expectations from the world and expectations from even ourselves of what we think we should be doing is huge. An example of this would be, you know, our, all of our little buddies that have special needs go to appointments twice a week and they're there for two and a half hours for speech, OT and PT. And something that I really struggled with for a while of like, what are people going to think of me? I chose to have a babysitter come pick them up and take them to appointments okay. and doing that and delegating that out to somebody else has freed me up so much because instead of that's a good three and a half hours of my day of taking them, sitting in a waiting room and then bringing them home. I'm now able to spend that time here with my kiddos that are here, getting dinner ready, running this situation at our house. And somebody else is going and sitting in a waiting room and it's freed me up so much, but I've had to get over the fact that 
they may judge me for me sending a babysitter to my kids' therapy appointments, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just wrestling through a bunch of that, mm -hmm. really figuring out my important things and the things that only I can do. And I want to do those well. I can understand why you would feel like, okay, they're going to judge me. But would you feel judged if you had to work a nine to five and you just couldn't get that time off? And so you sent grandma or a babysitter over to the appointment. Would you feel guilty then? I don't know. But different parents feel different, <laughs> different things and struggle with different things at different times. So I, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I would not at this current moment. And I'm like, oh no, I wouldn't at all. That feels Honestly, great. honestly, you do. Because I've done it. I've done it where I had my nine to five and, you know, I was just a clerk and I didn't have any pull and I had a newborn. So I had to have my babysitter bring her to the doctor's appointment. And I'm like, oh, please do it, please. And you still feel guilty, but it's what you have to do because there's other responsibilities that you have to get done. And like you said, you know, I can either be working or being with the kids or making dinner or wherever else I'm needed and then have somebody help me delegate that, taking them to the doctor, taking them to the park, taking them to that they need because it, it's all help that you need as well because you just can't be at five places all at one time. Yes, right? absolutely. So I think I read also, are you, are you still homeschooling as well? We do homeschool. Okay. So so how do you do that? How yeah, do you, how do you do all that with 10 kids, run your business as well? You know, special needs, it, it takes a lot. And on top of all that, you homeschool as well. Yes. And if we started out homeschooling and I, I realized quickly that our special needs buddies needed to, to be in school, I'm just not skilled enough to, I'm sure I could be, and I'm sure whatever, but that was something I definitely wanted to delegate out. They go to public school at the moment. Our older ones, you know, we really work on independence a lot in our home. And so they do a lot of their work themselves. And I think help I'm a million percent here, but my goal is to get them ready to be able to launch. And so mm -hmm. I want them to be able to be motivated to study on their own, get their work done on their own. And so that's kind of our, our older people manage a lot of their own school stuff. And we have checklists and all those things. And then our younger people, we... We just spend a chunk of the morning time and manage all of the things because we've called in our village. And so with the kids going to public school, now I know that public school has a lot, a lot of services for special needs and for learning disabilities and things like that. So you really do have to have them in public school in order to access all those great benefits and help and all those programs all and services and services. Yes. And so that is one thing that I've always said, public schools really will help you with all of that. Trying to do it homeschool, they still offer some services, but it's a lot harder on the parent and private schools, forget it. You're just not, you're not going to find those services there. So it's great that public school has all these services for, for these kids that really do need it. And there's just nowhere else to go for it. Because I don't even think insurances cover much, if anything. Well, that's a whole nother can of worms. That's, that's, a whole, that's something different. Uh, so our, like our insurance covers speech and OT and PT, whereas okay. the school system doesn't. Like the function level of the child has to be so low before the school system will kick in with speech and with OT. And I also have to say that we live in a school district that people will move across the country to the school district because of the special needs programs here. 
So we have a fantastic SPED department. However, I know that there's so many that aren't fantastic and the moms don't feel like their children are being taken care of or challenged or, and so it may be the best option that they homeschool. And if the mom has time and capacity for that, I think that's amazing and great. And she knows her child the best. And there's just so many unique circumstances for every situation. Okay. Tell me about the systems that you have in place, Laura. Yeah. So we, from the very moment we wake up, we have different routines in our day that just help things run smoothly. And so some of those things are, I, I think often we think of a system as being more like more rigid, but mm -hmm. I love to see it as like a flow of our day of how we're going to roll in this house. And so in the morning, we wake up, people are responsible for getting themselves ready and getting on the bus and all of that. So we have our morning routine. And in that time, I have time to just spend by myself and read and be still and quiet. And that little piece of self-care is like a must for me. So that, and then I go on a walk for a little while. And both of those things just really paved the way for my day. If I don't, I'm not doing those two things, I'm probably going to be in a bad mood and we're not doing great. You know, mm -hmm. all of our little buddies have chores that they do every morning and every afternoon. And that's been a beautiful thing for us to be able to just have a teamwork mentality in our home. And for me, I have like a beautiful thing that everyone's helping and it's not just me bearing all the weight, but also for our kids to see how a team functions, to see that they're needed, to see that they belong in our home. And they learn to see that their jobs rely on other people's jobs and other people are relying on them as well. And so like my daughter can't load the dishes until somebody unloads the dishes. And so there's just like this interconnectedness and this interdependence that is so vital in our home. And so that's one of the things that I really feel like is a necessity in every home that we need each other. That's what a family is. We need each other and we can't do it on our own. That's definitely and one. What I like about that is it teaches them responsibility, teamwork. You're just not alone and how to be part of a community, even if it's just family. Because when you learn that, then you take it out into the world as well. And I think that's a beautiful thing, really. Yeah, absolutely. And studies show that giving kids responsibility is like the best thing for them long-term. Like they do better in their jobs. They do better in marriage and as college students and all the things. Absolutely. So I think I saw something on your website regarding a free chore chart. Yeah. So I, it's a free chore e-guide and it's so great because it really walks you through how to create a chore system in your home. And a few things that we talk about our morning routines and morning jobs and afternoon jobs and how to set those up, how to think about them. There's an age appropriate chore guide in there and all of those things just help bring the home into a level of peace. So I, an example of this would be at five o'clock. It's when we do our five o'clock jobs at our house. And during this time, what used to happen was that I would go in there and start making dinner. Kids would be watching a show, making a mess. And I just cleaned up that room and they're destroying it and not helping. They're hurting actually. And so I would just get bitter and ticked off that I'm doing everything and that they're making bigger messes in there. And so I just noticed myself getting more bitter and not pleasant to be around, if you will. And so fast forward to now we have this five o'clock jobs time where I go into the kitchen, the timer goes off. 
kids turn off whatever they're doing. They all do their five o'clock jobs. So we're all working together as a team. And so their five o'clock jobs entail getting ready for the next day, helping do something for dinner, and then um, cleaning up a space. And so when I'm standing there in the kitchen and working and getting dinner ready, I have people coming in and helping me. Hey, mom, how can I help? What can I do? It's just this beautiful thing that it brings me so much peace, teaches them responsibility. We all come to the table and we didn't get there because one person, it was a group effort that we were able to sit down, that we all brought something to the table, literally and metaphorically. Okay, great. So then tell me about your one-on-one coaching and your online course as well and what the difference is and who would best benefit from each. Yeah. One-on-one coaching is a little more hand-holding. And I would come alongside you and kind of we would break down your home and then rebuild it again and figure out what points in your day and your life are stressful for you. I'm like, let's figure out the best way to handle those and the best systems to put in place to take care of that. Online courses, same, same idea, but I'm, the physical me is out of the picture. So I walk you through video lessons and stuff of how to put systems in place. We talk about morning routines and evening routines and weekly routines and batching your days so that you can be most productive with your time, putting self-care in, meal planning, all the things that you were in charge of on a weekly basis and getting all of those things taken care of. Is there a certain guide list that you would recommend or how would that work? Yeah. So I have a self-care guide that I would love to, to give to your people. If you just want to put the little link in the show notes. It's so great because it walks you through thinking about what you really need and not just, oh, go get a pedicure, which is sometimes what you really need, but Mm -hmm. like really what's going to fill you up, what's going to bring you peace in your day and how can we make that happen? So how can we ask for that help for somebody watching the kids? Like how can we work our, our way through that? And the humbling part of it of saying, Hey, I need some help here. I really need to make this priority. And so I would love to share that with your people so that they can get some real care for themselves because I think that's the most important thing as a mama. Yeah, definitely. I'll have it linked up in the show notes for sure. And in the meantime, where else can my listeners find you? Yeah, at mamasystems.net is my website and then on Instagram and Facebook at Mama Systems. All right, I'll definitely link everything in the show notes. Thank you so much, Laura, for making time for me. You're so welcome, Veronica. Thank you for having me.